Okay. Could we stand together in honor of God's word? If you are, if this is your first time here, or you haven't been here in a while, what we're doing right now is something we've been doing for a long time. We're going through a series called Transformed Lives, and it's from 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And as part of this series, we are memorizing a passage of scripture together. And so uh, we're going to, we'll read it out loud together, and then we'll turn the screen off and we will give it by memory. So here we go. Second Peter 1. For the second service, let's get rid of the seeing that. We're just, we just start with his divine power. I'm not trying to train scripture, but this is how we've always done it. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust." Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes on this. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also... In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For he, for he who has these qualities in an increasing measure is rendered neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. I recognize that was not perfect. (laughs) Forgive me. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, word today that I believe is burning on your heart. I believe there is freedom in today's message. It is a very strong, difficult message maybe to hear. But Lord, if if you will give us hearts that will hear what the Spirit is saying, this message will change us. There is more, Lord, I know there's more than teaching in this message. There is impartation to bring the truth of what you are speaking today. Hide me, please hide me behind the cross. Lord, we don't need to hear man. We don't need to know what Tom's opinion is. Would you let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Transformed lives, godliness. Now, at the beginning of the passage, it says that his divine power was given so that we would have everything about life and about godliness. So the question quickly becomes, why is this so far down the list? 
Why don't we add to our faith godliness? Why isn't godliness the first thing? First, I want to say this. At the new birth, all of these qualities are already in you. All of them are in you by the Spirit of God. The divine nature has all of these qualities in them. So what we're talking about is the order of developing these qualities, that that this needs to be developed, then this, then this, then this, then this. Why wouldn't godliness be developed first? Why wouldn't it be to your faith then supply godliness? Here is why I believe it's so far down the list. Because there is something in us that easily refashions God to our own image. And we can end up, end up with a false godliness where we, we, are, we appear godly because we talk about God and we give God credit, but it's not the God of the New Testament. And, and so what, what the Bible says is, listen, to your faith, add virtue Add knowledge, true knowledge of who God is. Add self-control. Add perseverance. These are all the things that are part of the real God, that the real God is going to impart. And now it's safe to start developing godliness so that our godliness is real godliness and not a clanging gong and symbol that actually makes the gospel unattractive to people. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3.5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. We say this all the time, don't we? Talk is cheap. It's easy to have the talk, but, the, but, but God wants us to, to not just have talk. Make sure that you're developing the real thing. Make sure that your life is being transformed. Make sure that you're connected. If you're connected to the real God, it will lead to transformation. Don't be so quick to think you're a godly person just because you prayed a prayer. Let this develop. Let this develop and make sure that what you're developing is true godliness and not part of religion without any power to change a life. All right, so we only have two questions this morning that we're going to answer. Only two points. First, what is godliness? Godliness is the quality in us that so reflects the closeness of God to us that others can't help but see God to explain who we are. Our identity has become so wrapped up in our relationship with God and our intimacy with Jesus that when other people look at our life, they have no explanation except that God is involved in that person's life. Listen to several godly people in the Bible. This is Genesis 26, 28. Abraham is, uh, Abimelech comes out, a king comes out to Abraham. It says, they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty With you. Abraham, when we see you, we recognize there's something more there going than just you. God is with you. We don't completely understand it, but we know this God is with you. And it makes us a little afraid. We want to make a treaty with you. Listen to Joseph. This is in Potiphar's house. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Potiphar, this rank heathen, sees Joseph, and he doesn't just see a good worker and somebody that's good at his work. He sees, no, there's a bigger explanation. There has to be a bigger explanation for his life. God is with him. God, God is with him. Listen to what what Darius says about Daniel. Then this Daniel, it says, began began 
distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, the king, recognizing that he possesses an extraordinary spirit, of course, that could mean anything. That could mean he's just a really amazing human being. But listen to what Darius says when Daniel gets into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Darius knows what the extraordinary spirit is that's in Daniel. He serves God. He's not just religious where it's once in a while. He continually serves him. This, this, there's no explanation for Daniel's life except that God is with him. And then, of course, the New Testament, Acts 4, 13. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are, make up the Sanhedrin, when they see the confidence and the wisdom of Peter and John, and they know they're uneducated Galileans, they're fishermen from Galilee that haven't even been trained, There's no explanation for who they are and the stance they're taking except that they have been with Jesus. Godliness. The quality that makes your life unexplainable to a non-Christian except that, oh my, God must be alive because they're in that person. What is godliness? Acknowledging God in everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What does it mean to acknowledge God in all your ways? First, the first thing that I think of when I think of acknowledge, I think of the opposite of acknowledge, which is to ignore. If I walk into a room and I just walk right past you and I go right and do my thing and I ignore you, that is, that is the opposite of coming into the room and nodding at you, saying hi to you, acknowledging your presence here. Ignoring Ignoring God. Here's what the Bible says about the end times. It says it will be like the days of Noah and, and like the days of Lot. This is in Luke 17. And then, it, and then it says how it will be like the days of Noah and Lot. This is, this is the world ripe for God's judgment. Here's what it says. People will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, planting, reaping, buying, selling. What? Why is this setting us up for judgment? These aren't bad things. These are all things that God made us to do. How, how is that making anybody ripe for judgment? Here's how. They're doing all of these things while ignoring God. In the days of Noah, they're doing all of these things of life, and they have found a way to do it without God and without acknowledging God's presence, without acknowledging his credit, that he is the author of all of this, to ignore God. Listen to this verse from Jude chapter 14 and 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, See that the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Why, Why is this such a big deal? Here's why. You were created by God and for God. If you choose to ignore God and live as if God doesn't exist, as if God does, it doesn't give you breath and strength, you have committed sin against God. You, we are supposed to live our lives in the presence, acknowledging God. And it says this, and this is, this is part of what godliness is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. 
Godliness acknowledges God not just on Sunday morning at church, but please acknowledge God when you're at church. Please come to church and don't just see man and just see the, I don't like that worship song and I don't like that, the way the pastor does this. Stop it. God is here. Acknowledge God. Who cares what people are doing? What's God doing? What's God saying? Acknowledge God in church. It's acknowledging God in food. What are we, what are we doing when we pray before we eat? That's all we're doing is we're saying, God, you're, you supplied this. We didn't supply this ourselves. You supplied this. You are good. You gave us taste buds. We thank you for this food. It's acknowledging God in your finances. It's acknowledging God in your suffering. It's acknowledging God in your, in your success. It's acknowledging God at work. It's acknowledging God in your marriage. It's making God the center. It's rearranging your life that makes being close to God the most important thing in your life. God becomes the center of everything. He becomes the center of your fun. You recognize I can't really be refreshed by just watching that movie or playing that game or, 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 or playing racquetball that I, God has to refresh me. And so I want God right in the middle of everything I do and recognize he's always there. Vacation doesn't refresh you. Jesus refreshes you. My, oh, my. Take Jesus on vacation with you. Okay. So the, uh, the bucks are amazing right now. Milwaukee bucks. They're... I'm so glad we have five bucks fans. All right. So the team they're playing is the Toronto Raptors, and the Raptors have a star named Kawhi Leonard, and they just, they just beat Philadelphia in a seven-game series, and Kawhi Leonard basically carried the whole team on his shoulders, and, um, and he made this final shot in the seventh game at, with the time running out. It bounced four times on the rim and dropped in, and, and so they come to get an interview with Kawhi Leonard. Well, here's, the, here's what most people don't know about Kawhi Leonard. He doesn't give interviews. He's the most intensely introverted person, and he just is to himself, and so he just doesn't really talk that much, and so, but they, he gives them this interview, and, uh, and here's what he says. She's just asking him basic questions, and he says, a year ago, I had an injury, and I didn't know if I would ever come back. It was while he was with San Antonio, and there was a huge controversy around it, and fear had gotten a hold of his life, and even though the doctor said he could come back, and the play, his fellow teammates said, please come back. The doctor said you can. He just couldn't bring himself to come back, and so he got traded to So he shares how dark it was a year ago, and that, that God healed him. And God has given him strength. So he's got a big tattoo of a cross on his arm. So I think, I think he's Christian. Um, but it was, it was just, there was no way he could talk without acknowledging God in his success. Some people think it's fake and, I, you know, I wish football players wouldn't mention Jesus. When they, listen, when you're a Christian and you've succeeded at anything, everybody waits to see. Whenever the Oscars are, you want to see who you really are. Who are you going to give credit to? Is it just your family? Is it just your team? Of course, that is a sign of humility that I didn't get here by myself, which is really important to, to, to acknowledge the people that, that you're not a one-man show and that if it's all about you, oh my, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. But I, I mean, I can't imagine a Christian in any setting getting an award, getting a, and not saying, God help me. That, that, that God gave me breath, God gave me strength, and that God is the one that allowed any success in my life. And that what human beings say or don't say, I'm always unworthy of whatever God did for me because he's so gracious to me. Acknowledging God in everything. That's part of what it means to be godly. Uh, thirdly, setting our hearts to please him instead of people. We were at the, the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Assembly Convention 
a few weeks ago down in Chicago. Almost all the pastors went down there. So this is a bigger group that we're part of, been part of it forever. Um, and uh, one of the speakers was named Mark Job. Mark Job is a pastor in Chicago. He started with a church of 18. On Easter Sunday, he said there were 11,000 in 27 different sites. He's got 32 pastors under him. I mean, he's kind of arrived as a pastor. And, uh, but he told about his start. He's a young man. He's just starting out. And uh, the University of Chicago asked him to come to their graduation ceremony and give the invocation. And he has to dress way up, and he comes into this unbelievably intimidating ballroom with the carpets that thick. And, and then the people that are there, who's who is there? I mean, the mayor is there. There are state representatives there. It's, it's the wealth and power of Chicago and Illinois and of the education. It's a very intimidating environment. And the guy, the university president that invited him, takes him by the scruff of the neck and says, you're a, you're a young man. And and we invited you because we know you are relevant to our culture. We know that you are culturally sensitive, and, and we know that you know that it would be inappropriate to use Jesus' name in this setting because, be, be, because of the wide variety of religions that are here. And so, so we, we, just, we just really we really believe in you, and that's why we have you here. So they invite him, Pastor Mark Job, young man in this very exalted position. And so he gets up and he said that he prayed the emptiest, most faithless, man-pleasing prayer that he had ever prayed. And uh, he went and he sat down on the platform and as this graduation continued, the Holy Spirit just came and just caught him so deeply in his heart about, who are you? What, 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 what are you doing? What does your ministry even mean? And he gets up. They, 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 he's, he's just under conviction the entire time. And then all of a sudden, he hears his name again. And now to do the benediction is Pastor Mark Joe. And he stands up. <laughs> he comes to the microphone. And he says, he says folks, he says, I am, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to pray the only way that I know how to pray. And he prays the most fiery prayer in Jesus' name. And he said, I, he said, I was never asked back. <laughs> it says in 2 Timothy 2.12 that those who desire to live godly, or 3.12, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Folks, this is part of it. This is part of it. Everybody's not going to pat you on the back. But he said the most disturbing thing about the entire event was when he was walking out. He says a lady stopped him and she said, I've been coming to these graduations for years. She said, there's a different Christian pastor every single year. And in all of my years, you're the first one that has used Jesus' name. He preached about Saul and David. It was about losing your place as a minister. And he said, you know, for our pulpits in America, Saul would be a way better choice of a pastor than David. All Saul did wrong was kind of overreached his authority when he gave us, a, he, he made the sacrifice when he shouldn't have and, and, and he was compelled to do that. And I mean, he didn't completely obey, but look, I mean, he didn't commit murder. He didn't commit adultery. He only had one wife. David, David is the one that should be excluded from pulpits. And so he's like, why, why not Saul and why David? And he said, it's all about the question 
that drove their life. Because there was a question that drove Saul's life. And here was the question. Do they like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? The reason why he makes that sacrifice early is because he sees the people and they're going to leave if he doesn't do something real quick. So he does it. And then he's out making a monument to himself. And Samuel says, listen, you didn't obey. You didn't do everything God said. And, And he says, please, please come back and honor me with the people before the people. And, and, and Samuel says, listen, I'm not coming back. And he leaves and Saul grabs his garment and tears the garment. And Samuel turns around. Here's what he says. As you have torn my garment, so the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from your hands and given it to another. Now listen to what Saul says in response to it. It just gives away what his whole life is about. Okay, that's fine. But please come back and honor me before the people. Do they like me? 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 Guys, that is the wrong question to drive your life. Here's the the question that drove David's life. Am I pleasing to you? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, oh God. When he sins, when he does the horrible thing with Bathsheba and Uriah, and I mean, it's just bad. It's found in Psalm 51. Here's how he prays. God, I have sinned against you and you alone. This, yes, I sinned against people, but before I sinned against anyone else, this was against you. I sinned against your name. I, I'm supposed to be your man, and I, I caused your enemies to blaspheme. God, I have sinned horribly against you. And in all of Psalm 51, which is the big prayer of repentance, there's never a prayer to remain king or to be honored by people or to keep the palace. Here's his prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and cast me not from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is what it means to be godly, to be driven by this question. Am I pleasing to him? Listen to what Paul says. This is 2 Corinthians 5.9. We make it our ambition or our goal. He's only got one goal. He doesn't have a five-year goal and a 10-year goal and a strategy. He's only got one goal. And he says, whether in the body or whether I'm in heaven or on earth, it's the same goal that we might be pleasing to him. Godliness. So uh, the day after convention, Greg was preaching back here, which is an amazing message. Greg preached on suffering. Um, we We went to Freeport and just had a couple days off. We actually watched the service online in a coffee shop, which um, I just want to say, acknowledge all of our workers up there that, that run our video stuff. Amazing. Amazing. Here we are in this coffee shop crying as Greg is preaching. It was just so holy. Um, but the day after convention, it was a Saturday morning. We're at this country and in suites. Of course, I'm down in the hot tub after my my, I have my little quiet time, then, I, then I'm having a little prayer time. And I am, I, it's all about godliness this day. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm kind of filled with angst about the ungodliness of America and all the ungodly and all the secularism and just taking over. And I'm just, I'm kind of a little dark, just to be honest. And this couple comes down, very attractive, 30-something couple. She gets into the hot tub. He sits up on the platform and I'm, you know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, here they are, the typical Americans, no godliness, no nothing, just, just having fun. I start chatting with this lady. Her name is Sheena. She's giving me permission to tell her story. Oh, my she wrote a book. I found out that she wrote a book. It's called Dating My Ex-Husband. So this guy that's there, they had gotten a divorce seven years earlier, and it was all on her. 
It was all on her. Even though she was a Christian in name, she was, she, her life was about her own happiness and, and she was raised in a very broken home and she, was, she wanted to do her own thing and she had her own goals and she had her own life and she thought she could do better than this guy. And so they were divorced for four years. And then she started encountering God. And some of this is what she told me in the hot tub, but some of it is what I read in her book. Um, I'm just going to read this one line that she wrote. Even though I had claimed to be Christian, I did not go to God for answers. I did not pray to God for understanding. And I did not study his word. Now I see that God's word is filled with help that I could have used in my marriage and that there is no problem too big for him. What she desperately wanted from God was a new beginning. And so she left her husband and she just wants a new beginning. And they were divorced for four years. And God started speaking to her from the book of Ezra. Because Ezra is all about a new beginning. The people come back to the promised land and they had been judged and now it's time for a new beginning. But they immediately disobey God again. And they're trying to get a new beginning and they desperately want one, but they're trying to do it without obeying God, without doing it God's way. Listen, God wants to bless every single one of us, but he cannot bless what his word forbids. And so she sees that what God wants her to do, because her husband has, has just stayed faithful. He, he, for four years, he's just been with God and seeking God, and she's like, if I want a new beginning, it, I need to make this right. Whether he w- will get married again or not, that's neither here nor there. I need to try to make this right. I need to acknowledge my sin. I need... And it was, it was really troubling to her that God would ask her to do something so difficult. But, but it, she got strength from it from Ezra because God has them do very difficult things that are going to really mess up their lives. But she wants God's new beginning, not her own. And so she goes back and course they 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 were married four years remarried four years later and there he is on the thing and on the deck and so they're talking about it and anyway I'm just like okay there's a lot of godly people in the United States (laughs) what does it mean to be godly liking and this is the fourth one last one under what is godliness liking God's company and knowing that he likes yours. This is beyond you loving God or needing God. This is you liking God. David says this, delight yourself in the Lord. Make your ambition not just to serve God, not just to worship God, not just to obey God. That's only going to take you so far. God has to become your delight. You have to fall in love with who he is. Delight yourself in him. Look at his mercy. Look at his justice. Look at how he treats the poor. I love all these songs that we do about who he is, how beautiful he is, how beautiful his character. And fall in love and delight yourself in God. And then this, uh, this other part is absolutely critical, maybe more critical than the first one. Know that God likes you. This is... This is, David says in, in Psalm eighteen nineteen. the Lord has uh, brought me out to a spacious place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. He may not always agree with your ways. He might not always be happy with what you're currently doing and the choices you're making, but you yourself were created for God, by God. And he invites every single one of us to come just as we are. Here's why it's so critical. There are people in all of your lives that you know don't particularly like you. Some, some of them are family members, some of them are work associates, and, and 
But you, you need to be around people. Oftentimes, we're forced to be around people that don't like us that much. And we sense that they don't really like us that much. And, and so what you do is, you know, you just accept that and you, you, you know, that's part of life and you, and you get through that time. But here's what you don't do. You don't look forward to spending more time with them in your free time because you know they don't really like you. So there's, you have to, but you don't want to spend all your time with them because they don't really like you that much. Now, if you think that's how God is with you, that he doesn't really like you that much, he endures you, he kind of died for you because he had to, you're not going to want to be around him that much. A.W. Tozer has this whole devotional called God is Easy to Live With. God is really hard to satisfy, but he's really easy to please. Every desire, every thought, it says that we, we ravish his heart. His heart starts beating faster when we think about him. Guys, this, God is easy to live with. He likes being with you. That's why you can be with him all the time. He's a joy to be with. And you've never had a friend like this friend. There's no problem he can't solve. There's no wisdom he doesn't have. There's no enemy that he can't bring to peace with you. You've never had anyone like this. It's amazing that God wants to be our best friend. He likes you. You need to settle that in your heart because you're never going to be able to be godly, not really godly, unless you can believe God likes being around you. And of course, the enemy has a lot at stake to keep you from that revelation. God likes me. I am the beloved. I am a delight to him. If that's hard for you to say, do you see that there's a problem? That, that, should, that should be the, the language of a Christian. This is who my primary identity is. I'm the beloved. I'm a favored son. I'm a favored daughter of God. Number two, last point, why be godly? First, for our own good. Psalm 73, 28. This is Asaph. He says this, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. The NAS says, The nearness of God is my good. So why? Why is it good to be near God? That is what godliness is, is living your life, reorganizing your priorities around living your whole life close to God. Why is it good to live close to God? Here's what Paul says. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Train yourself to be godly, which simply means reorganize your life around being godly. Work at this. And then he gives why. He says... uh, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I think we all understand why living godly here will help you in the life to come. Because you get eternal life. You'll spend all eternity with God. What is not as clear is why would godliness help me in this present life. What, how, does God, how does living my life now, because Lord, I thank you for forgiveness and I thank you for heaven, but I, I got to live a few more years down here. How is this going to help me now? How does godliness help me in this present life? Well, to start with, Paul gives a qualifier on this. There's a qualifier on how Godliness will help you in your present life. And it's, it's found in, in 1 Timothy uh, later in, in 6, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Okay, pastor, help me unpack that. What does that mean? Okay, so let's, let's start with this. Godliness without contentment 
you're not going to be that happy in this life. It's not going to help you that much in this life. Still help you in the life to come. But so, so what is, what is it about contentment? So naked, I came into the world naked. I'm going to leave being content in God means simply this, that I am no longer making an identity around my financial net worth. I am no longer making an identity around the world's opinion of success, the world's opinion of me. I am no longer trying, even though I'm godly, even though I need Jesus and I want to go to heaven, I'm still in this life trying to, to, to get my worth out of stuff, trying to get my worth out of impressing other people, trying to get my definition of myself from others or oftentimes from ourselves, defining ourselves. Listen, here's where godliness is of great, with contentment is of great gain in this present life. When you let the one who loved you and gave himself up for you when you allow the one who he calls us his masterpiece, when you allow the definition of who you are to come directly from him and not from your stuff and not from other people and not even from yourself, you let God define you. What happens is his perfect love for you casts out all fear and insecurity. And you just, you just are what God's making you. And you are becoming a masterpiece. Why? Because that's what God's making out of me. And this is, this is the most liberating way to live. Because if God's given you your identity, then no one can take it away from you. That person that rejects you, that person that hates you, that family member that gossips about you, the, you, you go through a bankruptcy, you go through some trouble down here. Listen, that's not you. That doesn't define you. Your worst act doesn't define you. Your worst sin doesn't define you. Your worst failure doesn't define you. God defines you. There is tremendous liberty of taking your own hands off your identity and saying, I'm just going to get into agreement with the one who loved me and gave himself up for me, who calls me, Ephesians 2.10, his masterpiece. That's going to give you great gain in this present life. This is going to radically change how you live. You're free. We live in a world that's living afraid and insecure. And you, you and I can live free from that in Jesus. If we're godly with contentment. Why be godly? First, for our own good. Secondly, to escape the judgment of the ungodly. Two judgments of the ungodly. Let me, let me read this to you. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth, will, uh, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So, for the godly... The day of Jesus coming, the day of your death, is a promotion. For me, Paul says, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The best is yet to come. Everybody that lives godly, the best is still coming. But for the ungodly, Jesus is coming like a thief. What does that mean? We've talked in the past about a thief... He's going to come unexpected. He's going to come at a time that we don't think he's coming, like a thief would come unexpected. But the thief doesn't just come unexpected. The thief comes unwelcome and unwanted. Why? What is a thief coming? It's somebody coming into my house, my personal space, and taking my stuff. I have been violated by a thief. And here's the problem with ungodliness. The center of ungodliness is humanism, where the end of all things is not God and God's glory and God's beauty. It's, it's man's happiness. And even God, then, is only a servant to my own happiness. Why is Jesus coming like a thief to the ungodly? Why? Here's why. Because it's my life. It's my future. 
It's my goals. It's what I want to do. And how dare he come back and ruin what is mine? That's humanism. He comes like a thief. And I've had my future stolen from me. He came in unwanted and unwelcome into my space. See, the truth is, of course, it's not your future. It's not your life. It's not your goals. It's not your anything. You and I were made for him. You you and I were made to be in relationship with him. We were made to carry out the destiny that he has for us. And so when our rights are in the middle, even as Christians, when we haven't really given him our lives, when we haven't let go of the controls of our life, we think of Jesus and death as like are going to be thieves that steal our future. What a horrible, what a horrible way to die. To feel like God stole from me. And then, of course, the judgment of the other judgment of the ungodly. And Peter says it in a number of different ways. I'll just read a few of them. The ultimate judgment of the ungodly. Second Peter 2, 12. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Ultimately, the ungodly perish in the lake of fire. The, rejection, the, the ultimate penalty for rejecting God is an eternal, irreversible penalty that they will perish one day in the lake of fire. He says it another way in 2.6. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. The ungodly are going to be burned to ashes in the lake of fire. Peter says in the eternal fire that they will be or I'm sorry, Jude does, that they will be burned up by eternal fire. Hebrews 10, 27 says this um, to those who leave God, who may confess God but are doing their own thing. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The word consume there, it means to eat up. The enemies of God. This is the end of the ungodly. So the gospel in a negative way is simply this. That Jesus died so that you won't get the judgment of the ungodly. Listen, listen to what Romans 4, 4 and 5 says. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now this is amazing. God, Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross to justify people that didn't deserve it, to justify the ungodly, to make us righteous in his sight. The third reason why be godly is to fulfill your highest destiny. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody wants to know their calling. Who am I called to marry? Where am I called to work? What, what field am I called to be a missionary in? All that is legitimate, but that's not your highest calling. Your highest calling has nothing to do with horizontal. Your highest calling is vertical. God, here's, here's, you want to fulfill your destiny? Here's your destiny. You've been called to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. You you have been called to go higher up the mountain to embrace this relationship of delight with the one who created you and delighted in you. Mark Verkler wrote a book called Hearing God, and I don't think it's called that anymore, but um, 
I read it years ago. He was the president of a university and all kinds of obligations and things that he should be doing. One day, he's, he's just walking in his garden and he's just enjoying the presence of God and the sweetness of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's overwhelmed with guilt. How can he justify spending all this time just enjoying God in the beauty of the outdoors when there are so many people that need him, so many lists he could be fulfilling, so many poor people, so many... And he's in the middle of this guilt trip. And the Lord speaks to him. Here's what he says. What you're doing right now is the culmination of why you were created. This is not that complicated, folks. You were made to walk with God. You were made to enjoy God. Everything else is secondary. God, God doesn't even need us to feed the poor and save the lost and, and do all the stuff. God could do it all without us. It says he's not served with human hands. Amen. In fact, is, I would imagine he could do it a lot easier if we weren't in the way. <laughs> but he wanted to do it with us. And there, so that's why there's things that we can't do without him and he won't do without us. And so our callings and our, our horizontal callings are very, very important because of how God set it up. But it's not our highest calling. Our highest calling is to fellowship with him. All right, I want to close with this. Here's what's happening tonight. So notice, what is godliness and why be godly? That's all I did. How to be godly, is, I didn't even talk about it. Tonight is worship and waiting. Two things are going to happen tonight that are, I'm very excited about. First one is this. Something tonight is going to happen for our youth. It says this. In the days of Hophni and Phinehas, the days of, these are, these are Eli's sons, and it was a horrible, secular, godless time. And Hophni and Phinehas were priests. They were religious, but they were abusive. They were, they were sleeping with the temple prostitutes. I mean, it was just a disaster. They were using their position. It was just like the worst case of everything. And it created a secularness in the culture. And in the day of this secular godlessness, In that day, God raised up this Samuel. Samuel made his bed by the ark of God. Samuel was this, he just wanted to be near God. And in that day, he raised up Samuel as this burning branch of his presence. And he, when when Daniel, he was a prophetic, when he spoke, whatever he said, it happened. and, and, And guys, in this day, in this day of Hophni and Phinehas, and you can look at the younger generation and just say, well, you know, what's, what is this world coming to? This is just really bad. Listen, mark these words. God is raising up a generation of Samuels. God is raising in the midst, in the midst of the godlessness and secularness and the discouragement spiritually. God is raising up young people by his grace. Tonight, in the worship and waiting tonight, at some point, We're going to anoint kids, youth, teenagers to to be the Samuel generation. The other thing that's going to happen tonight, you know what? I'm not telling you anymore what's happening tonight. I'm just going to say this. Tonight is really, really important to what God wants to do. And and here's here's what his invitation was. Tonight is not for the godly. You don't have to be godly for tonight. Tonight is for people that want to be godly. I desire to be godly. I I may not even know what it is. I I just, I, I, I want to be godly. I want to be more godly. I want to have this. That's what tonight is for. Don't worry about any ungodliness you see in yourself. He is able to justify the ungodly. All right, could we have every head bowed and every eye closed? The worship team can come. You know, we rarely preach the negative side of the gospel here. But I don't know how I couldn't have said it today. You're here today, and you don't want the judgment of the ungodly whatever sins you've committed, whatever 
stuff you've done wrong, however much you've ignored God, however much you've done your own thing and justified it, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you today. Today, Jesus is saying, I died for that. I don't want you to have the judgment of the ungodly. I'm knocking at the door. This is Revelation 3.20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in. He comes in and he forgives and he washes and he cleanses and he makes us who he wants us to be. So if that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and God. But today, God is knocking. God is convicting. And today, you want to open your door and say, Jesus, please, please come in and have mercy on me. Would you just raise your hand if that's you? We're going to have a prayer for all those people. I see that hand all over this place. See that hand. Thanks, bro. God bless you. Jesus is knocking. You've been living your own life on your own terms. Today, he's calling for something more. By upraised hand. Anybody else? We're going to pray in just a second. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? By upraised hand. You want to lay your right to your own life. You don't want the, Jesus to come like a thief. <laughs> I got you in the back. God bless you. If you raised your hand, would you mind just slipping it over your heart right now? Just pray something like this in your own words to the Lord. Lord, here I am today and Lord, I don't want my life to be my own life. I don't want this to be all about me and my plan and my and me try to get you to follow me around. I, I, want, I want to be a godly person. I want you to come and justify me. I want you to wash away my sins. I want the new beginning that you offer on the cross, through the cross. Lord, I thank you that you love me and that you gave yourself for me and that you call me your masterpiece. Would you start working on your masterpiece, Lord? Come into my heart and make me who you want me to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet, please? Here here is the second call. You know what? I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say this. If you want to be more godly, would you just open your, close your eyes and open up your arms like this? You just want to be more godly than you currently are. Lord, there are so many things that try to define us. There are so many voices that are so strong in our culture. It is so easy to ask the question, do they like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? We all want to be liked. Lord, could your bigger question drown out that question? Could we each one live for that audience of one? Could the the prayer that increases in our life be, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, oh God. Lord, may that, may that voice, may that question more, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us? All of the energy in our culture is to become ungodly. And God has mentioned less and less, except in negative ways, in TV shows and movies and Christians are many times painted as just, I'm not even going to go there. Would you raise us up as a Samuel generation? Would you raise up our children and our grandchildren in the midst of this current generation? Would you raise up a generation that wants to be close to God? A generation that says, the nearness of God is my good. I want to do anything to be near God. I will say no to anything if it's going to keep me from being near to God. I want to be near God. Would you do that, God? fire of God, burn away everything. Burn away everything that is not pleasing to you. 
Lord, I pray that anyone that comes tonight would come not because I invited them, but because you invited them. And Lord, maybe a few plans are going to have to be changed to come tonight. Maybe something will, you know what? I'm going to have to not do that. Maybe we'll postpone that. Maybe, and Lord, I know there are many that won't be able to come and I don't, certainly don't want anybody to feel guilty. But I, I believe you have something for us tonight. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll have ministry teams in front.